really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am your host, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, I'm at, uh, I'm at of Scrum, I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, with all that little bit of admin out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what, my friends, my current updates this week are, they're not good. Frankly, the, the job for which I've been holding out a lot of hope, it didn't come through. I'm, I'm pretty devastated, to be honest. Uh, it basically means that the last 11 or 12 months have been a gigantic soul-sucking waste of time for me. And I, I honestly haven't any idea what I'm going to do to bounce back. So if any of you listeners are hiring, quite literally for anything at all, please reach out and let me know. I'm a, a pretty intelligent, exceptionally hardworking guy with a master's degree and decades of experience, particularly in academia. But clearly, I'm open for a big change. So if any of you are trying to decide whether or not I'm serious, please know that I am. In any event, that's enough selfish maudlin ranting for one week. Let's get back to your regularly scheduled programming and general nonsense. <laughs> I don't know, Isa. I don't think it's necessarily good or bad news per se, just kind of an eye roller, I guess. So after winning the premiership last weekend, there was speculation about whether or not Leicester would have a victory parade throughout their city streets. And the answer has come back, sorry, but no. Or as my friend, uh, my German friend Ingrid used to be fond of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, but no. Uh, again, quoting here from the geocities.com slash look, I made a rugby website, or I, I mean rugby pass, uh, quote, Lester won their 11th title after beating Ceres 15 to 12 in a thrilling final at Twickenham. A Freddie Burns drop goal with 20 seconds of normal time remaining saw Lester home, but despite the heroics, they won't be getting a city parade. Earlier this week, a Tigers fan asked the mayor of Leicester, uh, Peter Soulsby, if the council would be facilitating such an event, implying that one wouldn't be done uh, as it was rugby and not football, to which Soulsby replied, uh, we are up for it if Tigers want to do it. It was an absolutely brilliant victory. However, there is a snag. Leicester simply don't have the players available for a parade. As many as 12 players are already away on international duty, while many other players are enjoying a well-deserved holiday abroad during rugby's relatively short off-season. A spokesperson for the club explained the situation in a statement given to Leicestershire Live. Quote, we would love to be able to share the team's success with the Tigers community and thank our magnificent supporters personally. Their contribution is key to everything the team does on the field, and they play a huge part in the season home and away. We're also thankful for the support of uh, Sir Peter Soulsby and the mayor's office for suggestions of a celebration event. The rugby calendar, however, means we already have a dozen players away on international tours, which begin within a couple of days of the Gallagher Premiership final, and the rest of the playing squad are on their contractual summer break, meaning we are unable to get everyone together again at this point. Players return for preseason training, training at different points of the summer, depending on their commitments elsewhere, and then we are very quickly back into the new campaign. 
We are taking the Premiership Trophy on tour to Tigers events throughout our region this summer and creating opportunities for supporters to have their own photos with it, including at the Family Fun Day event based at Mattioli Woods, Welford Road, and the plaza next to the new, uh, the new Hotel Brooklyn next Saturday, July 2nd. We look forward to welcoming those supporters back to the Tigers for the start of the new season, unquote. <laughs> I honestly have nothing else to say about this. It just seems so very rugby to me. I mean, yeah, there it is, and here we are. Well, moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are on the match Scotland A has lined up against Chile which until this past Friday, I've been under the impression I would actually be able to watch, you know? Uh, Luke Crosby was named captain for Saturday's fixture, and I ran across a headline reading, quote, work hard and put my body on the line. That's how you gain respect, unquote. Quoting here once again from the overwhelmingly awful Rugby Pass website, quote, Luke Crosby is honored to be captaining Scotland A against Chile in Santiago on Saturday. The 25-year-old Edinburgh flanker, has only one senior cap to his name so far after making his international debut against Tonga last October. Scotland management have been impressed with his natural leadership style during his time as a squad member, and Crosby is relishing the chance to skipper his country this weekend as they kick off a summer tour of South Africa, which will also include a three-test series against Argentina. Quote, it's really exciting to have the opportunity to do that role for the country. He said, it's a great group of boys, and it's special for me that the coaches think I can fill that role. It's great. The main thing for me is having respect for my team. I always aim to behave in training in a way where I'm leading and showing a good example for the players around me. So when you speak, the other players will listen to you. If I can have respect for my team, work hard and put my body on the line, that's how you gain respect. What comes from that is you get put in a role like this, which is great for me and my family. I've had a lot of messages since it got announced. My wee granny has been messaging. I'm sure my family will all be watching the game, unquote. Well, not if they live in the United States, my friend. In any event, I'll be very curious to connect once again with my friends from the Scottish Rugby Podcast to hear how things went for him this weekend. Uh, I still can't begin to fathom why the matches against Argentina are available to me here, but this one's not. But then again, I live in the world's rugby wasteland, so I suppose I should concentrate on being grateful for the games I can watch rather than go on about the, uh, you know, all the great rugby that never becomes available. So that is what I will do. Okay, moving on, it's time for our reviews, as always. And well, folks, this was, of course, the weekend of the MLR final. And the thought of it still makes me sick to my stomach. If my Free Jacks had simply lost fair and square, I'd definitely be over it by now. But the manner in which we just got completely bent over by the official, I mean, it was disgusting. And now the team whose very name is a lie has a chance to win it all, despite not even having a stadium where such an event can take place. I mean, man, oh man, what a complete travesty of an outcome. I have to tell you, if I, I, I didn't do this weekly podcast, there is no way on earth I would have even watched this one. On top of all of that, I felt utterly convinced that New Jersey were going to win, especially with the league clearing away the top two squads from the West. Ugh. I, I'm discovering that I'm a lot more bitter about the whole thing than I had thought just before now. Yuck. In any event, it did go just as I had feared. Yeah, just when you want your <laughs> almost always inaccurate predictions to be continue to be wrong. Nope. New Jersey, they, of course, I'll admit it, they proved themselves the better side on the day to the tune of a 30-15 to 15 victory. Once again, the officiating seemed poor, uh, though not as bad as last week, and it seemed the better team did win on the day. One tidbit that doesn't make me physically ill is that Sam Windsor scored a drop goal to seal the title. He, of course, MLR's all-time leading scorer. 
Yeah, yeah, folks, it's it's real. I absolutely hate this team. A bit of a nightmarish ending to what has been a fantastic season for the MLR. I'm sorry I don't have any more for you on this one. Unfortunately, I have to go clean up all of this vomit. So elsewhere, it was the WPL Championships, and I managed to catch a great deal of it. So right off the bat, you had to feel for ORSU, who traveled all the way from Oregon, only to get their butts absolutely handed to them by Chicago North Shore in the opening match of the weekend. It didn't take a genius to spot the eye-popping talents of North Shore's six-foot fullback, who dominated the match on offense and defense. What a player. Unfortunately, I could never make out her name during the broadcast, and their website only lists a couple of players by name, not including her. So anyway... The other four Friday fixtures, what a great format, by the way. I so wish I could have been there in person. It looked like an absolutely smashing day for rugby outside of Chicago. Anyway, it started with Atlanta Harlequins. They were facing the Tri-City Amazons, and it was a much closer affair with Atlanta taking a 12-3 lead into halftime. The Amazons, they showed a ton of heart and got it to 19-13 and heading into the final quarter of play, but Atlanta buckled down and put it away with a decisive try with only a couple minutes to go and would emerge victorious 26-13. Next was the San Diego Surfers versus Life West, and while the first half was close, the second was was not, <laughs> with Life West erupting offensively and ultimately completely running away with this one, 47-5, just a beatdown. Next, as if my little heart could stand yet another Boston versus New York showdown, it was uh, New York Rugby Club versus Beantown Rugby, a club Jan Rutkowski discussed at length in our recent conversation. Definitely check that out if you haven't yet. In any event, Beantown completely dominated this one, thankfully, getting three tries in the closing five minutes of the first half, and they really never looked back after that. Obviously, it was particularly gratifying for me to see, A, my friend's club come away victors in the first place, and B, a Boston team smashing a New York club. I only wish that result had come last week rather than this this one. Uh, 46 to 12 was the final score, and I think that means Beantown will be playing for yet another trophy tomorrow, but I can't yet say, uh, say for sure. Please stay tuned for later in this very pod finally to round out the evening it was the berkeley all blues facing the colorado gray wolves and for whatever it's worth i think if you have a name like all blues there should definitely be be at least some small spot of blue somewhere in your kit i mean there was one woman who had a blue mohawk so maybe that was it in any event this one was the closest of the day for the first half which the team which saw the teams tied at 13 coming out of the break but Berkeley, they, they slowly just turned the screws and saw that, that lead balloon consistently throughout the entire second half with Colorado unable to add a single point to their own account until there was only a couple minutes remaining. According to the comms at that point, uh, this locked up our final ranking matches for Saturday with Colorado set to take on New York for the three and four place match. And as I speculated just now, my own local favorites, Beantown Rugby, would be playing for the title against the All Blues, who went on to win this one convincingly 18 to 13. Uh, more on this very shortly, my friends. So meanwhile, in the wee small hours of Saturday, we also got the second of the two tests between Japan and Uruguay. Japan having won the first pretty easily last weekend. In this one, they made it look, frankly, even easier, smashing the visitors 43-7. to The outcome was simply never in doubt, not even by, not even a little bit. Uh, it was six tries to one for the Brave Blossoms. Although there was some concern over the kicking of uh, Takuya Yamasawa, who missed four consecutive conversions before getting the hook. Not a good showing. Uh, it took Los Terros until about the 74-minute mark to get themselves on the board at all. And they must be feeling, you know, a bit let down by their own performances headed back home. Japan, they look strong, but things could flip very easily when they exchange Uruguay for France as their next opponents. Should be a fun little series regardless.
So then, of course, the match I found myself most looking forward to by a long shot, of course, was the Curry Cup final, featuring a Griquist team that hasn't seen a final appearance since 1970, and they would be taking on the Pumas in a true clash of the underdogs. You know what? I failed to appreciate how special last weekend was with the 10 and 2 Cheetahs losing at home to the 5 and 7 Pumas, followed by the 9 1 and 2 Bulls getting upset by the Free Jacks head coach Scott Matthews' former team, the Greekwas, who were a full 11 points behind on the league table. You know me, I'm always rooting for the underdogs. I clearly should have made a bigger deal out of it. In any event, it started out very tight. Both teams unwilling to make any dumb mistakes, but also unwilling to really get much going offensively either. The Greek was they held a six to three lead oh, in such a gorgeous setting, by the way, in their own home venue, which I just don't recall seeing any time recently. Oh, my word. What a day. So this was after the first quarter had gone by. As if in answer to these very scribblings, the Pumas got the, 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 uh, the very first try of the day. Did I mention it was an effing incredibly gorgeous day out? So with a. Uh, uh, with Eddie Fushia making it six to ten after the extras. By the way, Fushia, F-U-C-H-E-R. So I would have assumed Fouché or Fusher, but apparently it's Fushia. Gotta love this stuff. <laughs> Another quick uh, pronunciation side note: I could have sworn during out this during this whole broadcast they kept saying uh, the ailing Pumas, the ailing Pumas, as if you know they were suffering through a whole rash of injuries or something. And I, I was increasingly surprised that they never explained what they meant. And I certainly hadn't seen any headlines about, oh, they're missing all these top players. I even, in this very space, started to write a dumb joke that maybe Ailing was actually a brand of lager that, that sponsored them before, my friends, I realized they were talking about their sponsor, the Airlink Pumas. Airlink, not Ailing, the Airlink. Yep. Just one more example of how hard it is to be a rugby fan where I live, especially, you know, if you're really, really dumb. <laughs> anyway, in the second half, the Greek West, they continued making silly mistakes, and then they were lucky to get away without a card when their number six decided to just put a hand fully on a Pumas player's face as he lay there on the ground and then just kind of leaned into it, shoving the guy's face and head into the earth with his full force, even kind of looking around furtively like, has anyone actually noticed this yet? Yeah, dude, we noticed. I mean, so unnecessary and dumb. That that spelled the end to me right there. I, I just was shocked at that one. Not like it was serious injury or he really even hurt the guy, which makes it even worse in a way. It was just so boneheaded, like as if there's only one person with a handicam out there. Come on, guys. This is 2022. Let's let's get with it. Oh, uh, the other reason I thought the game was probably over at that point was the score was nine to 26 at that stage. <laughs> anyway. Around the 57-minute mark, the Griquist fans finally had something to cheer about as a guy whose last name is spelled Hartzenberg, uh, H-A-R-T-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G, which it turns out is actually pronounced Hartzenbach. Uh, they got their first try of the day, uh, though time was becoming of the essence at that stage, and the understandably grim faces of the former players from the 1970s Griquist team in the stands told the real story. With only a quarter hour left, the comms mentioned that the Pumas had only missed three tackles all day. Quite a showing for them. It was still a 10-point lead with 10 minutes left on the clock. The home team still couldn't get out of their own way, handing the ball back time and time again, driving a nail firmly into their own coffin. The Greek was, they tried to pull within seven, but doinked the kick off the left post. And for me, it was game over after that. They did slot one shortly thereafter from a little further out, actually, and then Griquas had one final shot within seven as the Hooter signaled the end of a hard-fought season all around. But 
pinged for not releasing the contest came to an end with the Pumas taking their franchise's first ever Curry Cup in the first attempt they'd ever actually had at a final. They became the eighth club in this competition to win the treasured trophy over all time. And uh, what a moment. What a moment for a team that went a disappointing five and seven on the year. Cheetahs and Bulls must be shaking their heads right now, wondering where their great records and all that hard work went. And, you know, as a fan of underdogs, I have to give a heartfelt congratulations to the Pumas for an incredible journey. I need to pay more attention to this competition next year. It's just great. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It was fantastic. Okay, next up, my friends, and I got to admit, this is a little weird. This little segment, it might be a little wonky, but it's kind of a new format for me and frankly, practically a new sport. I I don't usually watch sevens and... uh, I tried really hard this weekend. Uh, It was the Rugby Europe's Sevens Championships, both for the men and the women. As I say, I I actually tried watching, but once again, and as always, Flow Rugby was back to its old tricks. The the first replay they had listed was the first women's match on the docket. Somehow, the entire replay video, I noticed before even clicking on it, was a five-minute video. Yeah, the the halves are seven minutes each, uh, and there's some sort of halftime, right? So... Before I even clicking on it, I knew this was not what it was advertised as being. And sure enough, out of those five minutes, four of those minutes were just random people talking in the background while displaying incorrect match info, which they then covered up with a massive logo for the tournament itself, preventing you from actually seeing anything that was happening on the field until, I don't know, 45 seconds left in the video. And by the way, that meant this video covered neither the beginning nor the end of the match. Uh, go ahead and just chalk that one off entirely. I, oh my gosh. Then the first men's match. I noticed the video was 27 minutes. Hey, theoretically, they had time to show all of it, but they decided not to include any audio. And they never actually sorted out the graphic displaying the score. Also, the ESP for Spain, I swear, it seriously looked like it was in a witness protection program or something just completely blurred and unreadable, despite the fact that directly underneath it, BEL was displayed clear as day. So another brutal botched job by Flo. I realized I was just going to have to check these scores later. At least Flo wouldn't be in charge of that. So they basically play, uh, you know, a whole day of matches to determine who gets into the medal bracket. And in this case, in the men's competition, Georgia, they found themselves in the end getting into the ninth place by defeating ultimate 10th uh, place winners or losers, I guess, Poland, 27 to 12. Lithuania got seventh by beating the Czech Republic, 5 to 24. France, they earned the fifth ranking by crushing Portugal, 12 to 43. Italy surprised Belgium and grabbed the third spot, winning 14 to 21. And at the end of the weekend, it was Germany hoist, uh, hoisting the trophy after beating Spain, 7 to 21. Meanwhile, for the women, Romania upset Wales pretty handily, garnering the ninth spot with a 7-21 victory. Belgium the grad, grabbed seventh with a shutout over Germany. The Czech Republic squeaked out a two-point win to grab the fifth spot over Spain. France absolutely smacked around Ireland to get the third spot, 33-7. And then, finally, it was Poland who would beat Scotland, 19-15, to emerge champions in Lisbon. Wow, a little surprised by that one. Uh, anyway, I'll be honest, I'm new to this type of format, as I already told you. I'm unclear when the second leg begins in Krakow. Uh, the fact that such a leg exists is listed on the official website, but when those fixtures are planned is just a complete blank. There's literally nothing on those pages. However, I will try my best to keep you posted as always. 
Well, I mentioned earlier that I went hunting for some sort of way to watch Chile face Scotland A. And you know what? Between the complete incompetence of Flow Rugby and the futile nature of trying to find a replay on YouTube, I got to tell you, it was a bit of a frustrating weekend to be an American rugby fan. Uh, in the end, Scotland's A-side simply smashed the Chileans to the tune of seven tries to one, taking a 5-45 to 45 victory in Santiago. Hoyland got himself a hat trick. That was nice. George Horn got a brace with Rufus McLean and Ali Price getting the other two between them. Scotland, of course, will now gear up to face Argentina three weeks in a row. And as I've said before, I honestly have no idea what to expect from that one, though. I do imagine that first test is going to tell us a lot about what we can actually expect going forward. So to finish off all the competitions I was following this particular week, it was back to the WPL. Pretty exciting stuff, by the way. Really enjoyed it. Sunday held all the matches to give us our final overall rankings, concluding with the championship match that evening. It's worth noting here that there was a concurrent uh, under-23s tournament, uh, like apparently an all-star tournament of some sort, and that was sort of interspersed with some of these fixtures, but I'm afraid I did not manage to catch any of that. Um, anyway, as things unfolded, the Twin City Amazons, they crushed RSU to, to claim the ninth overall rating, while San Diego took seventh place with their defeat of Atlanta by a pretty big margin, 43 to 24. Uh, Chicago North Shore versus Life West, uh, Life West, sadly, never appeared on any of the sites I found. So I'm afraid I, I'm going to have to save that one, uh, that result for the Twitterses. Meanwhile, New York took on Colorado Gray Wolves. This one turned into a laugher with Colorado up 44 to 10 with only a quarter hour to go. And that's the way it would end as well. Got to say, their defense was sick. It was really incredible to see so much aggression that late when the result was effectively out of reach. Really great showing by the Gray Wolves. And finally, of course, Beantown Rugby were the favorites against the Berkeley All Blues. But you wouldn't have known it in the first half with Berkeley getting the only points of the first 40 minutes. And they headed to the lockers up uh, 0 to 12. Speaking of 12, Berkeley's number 12 was very impressive for the All Blues, getting things done on both ends. And by the way, Mike Rack earlier about their having no blue in their kit. Obviously, they do. It's just a surprisingly dark navy blue. And in the, the last match, the cameras sort of made it look much closer to black. Just saying. In any event, it was a worrying start for the favorites, to be sure. The second half yielded more of the same, with Berkeley getting seven more in just a few minutes in. Did Beantown, I wrote, have any kind of response left in the tank? Sadly, the answer was no, and it was a big day for the Berkeley All Blues, taking down mighty Beantown, even adding an insult to injury try as the clock ticked towards full time, securing their third ever WPL championship. Beantown, after the clock had already gone red, took advantage of a loosely handled pass and did dot one down to sort of save themselves a shutout, but it was obviously already over, and Berkeley got their first trophy in 10 years. Very well done, I begrudgingly admit. Well, my friends, by that music, you'll know it is time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. We're going with a coach rather than a player, Jimmy Stonehouse, head coach of the Airlink Pumas. Mr. Stonehouse, you have been a stalwart servant of rugby union since, if I read right, 1984, amassing trophies and coaching accolades since the early 1990s. After spending virtually your entire career in South Africa, you left the nest to coach the Toshiba Brave Lupus in Japan for three years before coming back to take the reins at the Pumas in 2018. Your club has built steadily since then, and all that hard work was finally rewarded this weekend as you brought your underdog charges to the very top of the mountain, shocking the entire competition with an upset win to earn the historic Curry Cup for the first time in franchise history. Mr. Stonehouse, 
as your players hoisted you onto their collective shoulders and paraded you off the field victorious, I knew you were the man of the weekend and had managed to earn yourself an even more prestigious win, that of the coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. Enjoy all the spoils that will inevitably cascade your way, my friend. Congratulations. And, of course, well done. Ah, here we go. On to updates and previews, and ooh, is there good stuff to look forward to? Well, the first thing on my list, of course, is that rarest of animals, the midweek fixture. And this one, oh man, it looks fantastic. It'll be the Maori All Blacks hosting Ireland. There will actually be another midweek fixture two weeks after that with the Maori matches uh, sort of falling in between the tests versus the All Blacks. I haven't seen squad announcements for either of these fixtures, though it will, it will assuredly be effectively an A-side for Ireland. I do see that on the 29th, there will be three debutants for the Maori All Blacks, including Cullen Grace, Sam Nook, and Max Hicks. Those last two sound like totally fake names, by the way. Anyway, uh, they played, for, uh, uh, Max Hicks, by the way, did play for my Snakebit Highlanders this past season. So on the weekend itself, oh my word, there's serious action, starting with my USA Eagles hosting a French Barbarians team. It's hard to see that one going our way, to be honest. So my hope is it will be entertaining enough to smooth over the likely blowout final score, but we will see. On Saturday, July 2nd, it will be Japan hosting France. I'm fully expecting the French to bring the full noise, as friend of the pod Craig Manson is fond of saying. That, of course, is followed by the New Zealand All Blacks hosting Ireland, who have actually had the AB's number in recent years. Very excited to see how that one goes. Australia, meanwhile, will take on England. South Africa hosts Wales. And finally, Argentina welcome somewhat of an experimental Scotland team. Honestly, no idea what to expect from that one, as I've said a couple of times. Either way, I am officially foaming at the mouth. What a weekend we've got coming. Well, my friends, I'll be honest, it hasn't been my all-time favorite weekend of rugby, but I hope you, you know, as well as I did, also managed to find a couple of bright spots, at least. There's there's definitely been some cool action. Uh, a little frustrated by the MLR, uh, you know, conclusion, as well as flows continue, you know, existence. As I said last week, if you have anything cool happening this summer, reach out and let me know. It's always great to hear from you and to hear what's happening in your own lives. If you want to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always email the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. And, you know, it's been quite a while. If you can, now that, you know, a lot of these competitions have ended, maybe you have a little spare time. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would really help grow the show. Um, also, if you do like what we're doing here, there's a couple of ways you can show your support listed in the show notes, including buying, buying me a coffee or a beer, whichever way you like to think about it, or becoming a monthly supporter on Anchor. So, all of you, thanks again so much for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.